Hey there, welcome to the Pocket Pulpit Podcast. Uh, this is an exploration in social media ministry. My name is Hector, and I'm here with my co-host, Sarah. Hey. Hey. Uh, today, we just want to talk a little bit about the idea of Christian entertainment, celebrity entertainment, social media, and, and kind of the intersection of those two things, along with a few other parallel conversations. But just the idea of when entering into the social media ministry, are we trading one form of celebrity for another? Um, Sarah, you and I have kind of tossed around this idea for a while uh, to do an episode on this. And so can you maybe just give us a, a little bit of like a baseline to just kind of start talking about this and kind of some of the things that brought this to mind? Yeah, I've, I've been interested in having this conversation with you um, in part because you and I are um, different ages. We're from different generations. Um, and we have, I, I would imagine we have some different perspectives. Mm-hmm. I was raised in probably the height of the like Christian entertainment, whatever, the Christian entertainment stuff, the good old 90s, when, you know, you could buy a t-shirt with any any brand rebranded for Jesus and wear it to your favorite concert or your um, favorite conference where everybody would go and hear the most um, important and influential voices and the coolest new people speaking about Jesus. And so like, I grew up in that and um, you are younger than me. Um, Believe it or not, people, Hector is younger than me. I know I look old, but. Well, some of them can't see you. Um, That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Probably most of them can't see you. Um, So I wanted to hear just first off, I want to hear what is your, when you hear Christian entertainment or Christian celebrity, what is your experience or what is your impression of that? Yeah. Uh, okay. So I, to kind of help understand where I come from, like I grew up in and out of the church. Like my grandmother was a pastor. Um, I, so I was kind of in and out, but it was a small Spanish Pentecostal church. So like, I wasn't really involved, I guess, in like the mainstream of Christian celebrity at the time. Um, and then I was saved at 16 at a youth camp. Like I came to know Jesus at youth camp, loved Jesus from then on. Right. Which meant that I did the like winter jam uh, traveling concerts. And so seeing all my favorite artists and speakers and authors that were just popular at the time. Right. And so I kind of understand the like, let's get into a room and just yell and cheer when this author makes this really cool point that he's made 200 times this year. Right. Um, But I I think for me over the years, I've kind of come to this place of, and maybe this is just the journey that I've been on myself, but just really understanding that. I don't know. People are people too, you know, like, these people that for some reason 
people are flocking to them like and um good bad like there are reasons people are just laser pointed at them right whether that is they are super intellectual and thinking about scripture and god or presenting an idea in a way that hasn't been presented in the, the light before right or whether it's because of the way that they talk like they just have a great stage presence to them you know no one really cares about their theology or their what they're saying they just are really funny or really relatable um I don't know. I don't even know if I'm answering your question, but Christian celebrity, Christian entertainment, I think, okay, as big as personally for me, I listen to a lot of Christian rap. Like mm -hmm. you could have that argument. Christian rappers have had that argument for years and on end, but ultimately their numbers, as big as they are inside of their niche, like, their numbers mean nothing to like J. Cole or a Kendrick Lamar or a Jay-Z. Like their numbers are small and tiny. And so I, I think when I think about Christian entertainment, I go, okay, but we're really not all that big of a deal. Like we think we are, and we maybe we want to think we are, but I don't think we're that big of a deal in the rest of the world's eyes. And here's kind of what I have seen unfold. I have seen so many people on Twitter who go, I didn't even know who this person was a year ago. For me, that's mainly been inside the Southern Baptist circles. Like I grew up in the SBC. And so seeing that like, there are people that I've known about for a decade Right. Like I've heard their name and they go, I don't know who this guy is like. And so now I'm being exposed to this guy that is supposedly the biggest person, speaker, blogger, author. I have no idea who he is. So where I come from, uh, my history with it, um, and I'm thinking about it, like if the question is, is Christian entertainment culture bad or good or both? Because um, no. I think that that is what's what is starting to be is has been evaluated some in the past year or the past few months is, um, is it good, bad or both? And, um, so I was brought up in the church and when I was a senior in high school, I started to sort of, um, to say, is, is this what I want for myself? You know, my parents have brought me here. They have raised me in the church. They have given me all this, um, this good upbringing as for foundation, as far as, um, how they raised me. Is this what I actually want for myself? Let me, let me find out. And um, I went with a group of friends to a Supertones concert. And um, did you, you had literally no expression on your face. Do you know who the Supertones are? I, I recognize the name. Oh, I have no. never heard a Supertones song. No, that is the saddest thing I've ever heard. It's that would be my homework for this episode. Okay, I'll go excellent. home and go listen, listen to, to some Supertones. Um, it's, it's very 90s. So anyway, I went to the Supertones concert. While I was there, I had, I had a panic attack. And um, it was, you know, I won't tell the whole story right now. But I came, I left the concert having this panic attack. And I walked back into the room. And one of the guys from the band was up there talking and presenting the gospel and just, you know, preaching to the kids. 
they led a worship song. And one kid on either side of my, of me took my hands. And when they took my hands, like I, this sensation came over of me and my panic attack just immediately stopped. And so after that concert, I went home and I prayed, I said, you know, God, I don't know what that was, but if, if that's what you have to offer, I want that. Like you can, you can have me and I'll be into this which isn't like a really good, it isn't like the mapped out sinner's prayer or whatever, but that's what I, I marked down as my accepting Christ. And so for me, like when I think of Christian entertainment culture, Christian entertainment, I think of this is something that is effective. It was effective mm-hmm. for me. And then I also think about going to concerts and um, what did you call it? Like Winter Jam or there were different ones. Rock and Worship Roadshow. Yeah. And, you know, camping in a, in the, the King's Dominion campground and, um, you don't, I'm sure you don't have Kings, whatever's out there, but you know, the concept. Yeah. Camp in this big field. Big old festival. Hey, yeah. Big old festival. And then I got to meet the Supertones, like at every place I went, I managed to cross paths with these guys and they would take the time and they would talk to me. And that mattered to me. It was exciting to me that I had these opportunities. And I worked for a family Christian store. So that, that, is that out of business? I don't know. It, we're not promoting them or we're not promoted by them. So whatever. Ding, ding, ding. No sponsorships here. Yeah. But I worked there and we would occasionally have artists come by the store for CD. CDs were these small things. Heck, do you know about CDs? I know what a CD is. I burned a lot of them in my day. (laughs) Okay. So they would come by and they would sign their CDs. So I met like Stephen Curtis Chapman and Mary Mary and, you know, other CCM people. And I always thought that was pretty cool. But in the past year, you know, it, it shocked me in the past few years when it occurred to me that these, these speakers who were going out to these conferences and speaking, like you said, we would all cheer when this author said the same thing he said 50 other times this year. I had no idea they were saying the same thing 50 other times because I wasn't watching YouTube. You know, that wasn't part of my experience. I only had this one. So they only had to have one message that they just go over and over and over and over and over. And now that is something that is able to be done through YouTube or through Facebook lives or Instagram videos. You know, the, I don't know if that's the videos you put on Instagram. Instagram video. Um, you can do that there. And so you, it's a challenge, I think, for these people to have to keep coming up with new material. So that's, that's changed for people who present in that manner. But I also have seen, it's like the bubble was busted. There was a big bubble of Christian entertainment. And in the past couple of years, that bubble has burst. And I think that's in how people perceive it. And also, and how the people who are involved in it perceive it. Have you, you've seen that? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think the transition from, because even just in my short, like 10 years of like going to concerts, going to these winter jam things, right? Like even kind of over the years, seeing like diminishing like crowds and uh, just thinking about like the conversations around popular speakers whether good or bad and like what you know whether that should be a thing or not and then also on the flip side as i've gotten more and more involved online in online communities 
seeing that like I'm connected with a lot of authors, <clears throat> Sarah Kinzer, yeah. uh, but you know, just people that like I can have face, you know, face to face, but like one-on-one conversations with, like you're talking about like the, this band that's going around touring the country. Right. And here's like, Oh, we're both in our living room scrolling through Twitter. And now we're having a one-on-one talking about, you know, who knows what, yeah. but we're having relationship and conversation and seeing how like I, I can talk to someone who may or may not have a large platform, but is having an impact in a smaller setting. You know what I mean? Yes. Like today, um, somebody posted about how was posting about Beth Moore and said mm. like, that was Beth Allison Moore said like she ruined her tacos when, when Beth Moore contact or sent or something. And then um, somebody said, um, I talked about the first time, my very first day at Twitter, my friend Aaron tagged a whole bunch of people that he was connected with and said, hey, my friend Sarah's on Twitter. And one of the people he tagged was Beth Moore. And so here yeah. I am like three hours deep into Twitter. You know, this is my first day on Twitter and Beth Moore comes strolling by and she's like, gives me this, this paragraph of welcome. And so I'm over in Facebook Messenger messaging Aaron, like, I'm supposed to go get a rotisserie chicken, Aaron. How can I go get a rotisserie chicken when Beth Moore is talking to me? What is Twitter? And then somebody else today posted on that that thread earlier about how like she had come. Oh shoot. She had well, one person said that she had come and reprimanded her for saying banana clips are a thing of the past. And somebody else said that they had talked to her that she had posted a, a dog picture and he was still shaken from it, you know? Yeah. And, but it's like, you really are before social media. Like I couldn't, I could run into the Supertones guys at a festival and then I'm not going to interact with them again until six months later when they come through town or a year later when that festival comes back, if they're on the thing again. And I happened to come across them, which I was, I was a bit of a fan, so I happened to come across them. It just a happened. Lot. <laughs> <laughs> but on social media, it it's even the platform. They're off the stage. They're in your living room. You know, they're in their living room. You're in your living room, but you're all in a living room together. So it's it's even the playing field. But we've also seen like the fall, the very public very disturbing fall of some Christian celebrities. Yeah. And we've, we've looked at how systems were built up to support these people's personas, these people's images. And they were, they were doing terrible, terrible things, which they should not have been given a platform. Their image should not have been preserved. And you're left looking back and going, what do I, do I, do I believe what they said and what damage was done? Because behind the scenes, they were not just not living it out, but absolutely harming people. Yeah. And so the, the trust is gone, I think, with a lot of Christian celebrities. I also have heard someone who is, who has spoken at, in front of hundreds of thousands of people and spoke regularly at conferences in the past year look at the things that have gone on in our our world in our society in the past year and said you know we 
I went and spoke at these things. I, we talked about how we were going to do better and we didn't do better. Like, what was the point of it? What was, what difference did it make that I talked to tens of thousands of people and that I, that I had these things come my way, these opportunities come my way. Did it actually make a difference? What have I, what have I done? Was it worth what I, you know, did it make any difference at all? Yeah. And so from both the public perception of Christian entertainment and I believe from the perspective of the Christian entertainers or celebrities themselves, they are questioning, is, is this the right way? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting because obviously this isn't a simple, like it's bad or it is good and it sucks that there's, you know, one or two people that, that have just kind of ruined it for everybody, right? We, you see that conversation all the time to, I don't know, to, to kind of just think through like the nuance of it all of, you know, you're right. There are people who people flocked to, you know, just built up and very quickly built up as like a prominent voice in Christianity. And honestly, some people that were able to cross into like mainstream culture and represent Christianity in the church. What do we do with that? Like if there was good and we were able to see good come out of it and transformation and then to to just see that crumble and fall apart what do we do with that i was i don't know if you've listened yet to um the mars hill podcast that just come out my customer yeah. yeah so i live in seattle washington i came here the summer of 2014 which is also the year that mars hill imploded most of my time, it's now seven years later, most of my time in Seattle has been in the aftermath of it. I can tell you, I know so many people who, that's exactly who the church is. That's, you know, just arrogant and, you know, dark and perverse and just not living up to this thing that, like, when you read scripture, here is what it means to, to be Christ follower. Here's what it means to be kingdom citizen. But what I love about that podcast, and I think this is something that I struggle with, is there is a very real moment in that podcast, which is like, so who, whose fault is it? Like, is it Mark's fault? Is it the city of Seattle's fault? Is it everyone who you know shook mark's hand on his way onto the stage is it our fault did we do it you know and just this idea that like it's easy to point the finger it's easy for us to look at someone who had a stage and go i knew it i knew that the stage wasn't important like wasn't the way and of course it corrupts and, and those are true things but the the podcast does a really great job of saying like this could have been anybody like this could have been you and I if we're not careful what do we learn from what happened and i think that's so, sort of what we're trying to to get at is like what do you and i learn about we have seen people 
on even on social media who say great things and then publicly something happened and it's like well what do what do we do with the you know the really great tweet thread that they just posted last week and that went viral what do we do with that but then also for some of the smaller authors sarah kinzer when she drops a fire thread right like does sarah look to get a platform of ten thousand followers you know and is that bad if that's what you know you need you've talked about it before like uh, when you're looking to get published and publishers are like, you don't have that many followers, you know? Yeah. And so that temptation to go, okay, so what do I need to say? How do I need to interact to get there so that my, my words are seen as impactful and I can publish a book with that, a publishing house? That was a surprise to me. And I'm sure that that comes off as naive to some people that I thought if you want to be traditionally published, like, this is, this is what you do. You go get traditionally published so they will market for you. And I don't have to convince people to like me or my stuff. That's yeah. somebody else's job. And then I started um, submitting my work and, and it's asking me, like, tell me about your following. Tell me what you're, tell me what you already have. And I was like, hold up. I thought you were going to go get that for me. So that was a learning, a learning moment for me. And I know, I mean, when you, when you realize there are people who have good words, They have things that God have told them to say, and they can't get it out there unless they already have convinced tens of thousands of people to listen to them. You think about all the good words that God has for people that are going unheard. And that is, I mean, that to me is disappointing. But for me, I can't, I was trying to remember earlier, was it Annie Downs or someone that Annie Downs was interviewing who said their first book they sent to, she, I know it was a woman. She said, I was rejected 27 times and I didn't send my book to 27 publishers. Like publishers were double rejecting me. It was like, yeah, I got the memo. You borrowed it. You don't want it. And so she was like, I have this, this book that I've written. I have this message that God gave me. What do I do? And so, I mean, Annie Downs and the person or the person she was interviewing, I can't remember which it was. There big names that you would think who would ever, this person would never have a problem publishing a book. So their first book, they independently published because they were like, I believe this is a good book. I believe in this book. And so um, I actually ended up choosing to, I hadn't heard back from all the places I'd sent my book. I actually chose to independently publish so that I could have the controls because what God asked me to do was to write the book. He didn't ask me to be traditionally published. Yeah. And so I did what I had to do to be faithful to what God asked from me. And, you know, is there part of me that's like, I would love to be traditionally published? Absolutely. I would, you know, hello publishers, if you are listening, (laughs) (laughs) but at the end of the day, God didn't ask me to be traditionally published. He asked me to write down this, this word that he worked out in my life. And that is, I believe useful and helpful to others, which others have engaged with my material and, and been edified from it. You know, they've, they've responded to me that it's doing what, what God asked me to do. So that to me is success. Okay. So let me ask you a question because kind of in, in light of our conversation, what happens if, right. If 
your book just gains ridiculous traction and you become this like voice, right? Like right. what are you supposed to reject that? Are you supposed to say, nope, I can't, I've capped off my followers. I'm now a private account and I have to approve you following, right? Like where is that line or what is the trajectory? Like what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, um, if it were to just take off, I mean, I, I sometimes I talk to God about it sometimes, whatever you want. And I just tell him whatever you want to do with it, whether it's let it sit back behind me on my shelf and just like people, a couple people here or there, like I'm happy with what it's doing right now. I'm, I'm happy when like one person is reading it and they message me and they say, I have this question about it, or you said this, and this is what it meant to me. Like, I'm happy with that. And so like, if it were to take off, I would be more, I mean, I would, I'd be fine with it, but I understand that um, it, it increases the responsibility on me. It, it increases the weight of my words. It increases the, the importance of how I engage. And so, I mean, I am mindful now that how I interact on my social media, like I wanna act with integrity when nobody knows who I am. And so that if a billion people were to know who I am, there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be questions. It wouldn't be like, yeah. well, that's who Sarah was when nobody knew her, but now she's got her face fixed, you know? Um, now that people are looking at her, she's she's getting her act together. Yeah. And I'm not saying be fake because I think part of what is, because we want to know how do we protect if, if we don't trust Christian celebrities as much as we used to and Christian celebrities aren't sure they trust the Christian entertainment culture. And so now mm. we're having a peer to peer, a more peer to peer situation are we going to elevate our peers so that they're just the new Christian celebrities? They just don't have the, the system behind them or they have a new system behind them. Are we just going to create a different bad machine? And we don't no, want to no. do that. And we don't want, and part of, part of the problem, what we should learn from the Christian entertainment culture is that that has the bubble that popped is that a good face does not indicate a healthy body. And so I'm not encouraging people to put on a good fake face on social media. My hope would be to encourage you to have a level of realness, of vulnerability, of, of being just genuine online. But also, if you only have 10 followers, you have a responsibility to those 10 followers to be who Christ made and remade you to be like mm. you have the responsibility of com compassionately caring for the people around you not just because imagine if one day a billion people know who you are and they can look back and say when you had 10 followers you were out there posting terrible pictures and saying terrible things but now that you have a billion it's not about the threat of people finding out because if only 10 people know that you are a you are the kind of person who acts terribly online. I mean, the damage that you do to those 10 people's impression of the impression of 
the God of the universe. Yeah. Like, how dare you, whether you have 10 people or a billion people, it's, yeah. it matters how we behave. And so I also think we have to be aware of our vulnerability because social media is the most public place you can go. So I've, I've told kids in the past, my advice to them, it's not about like, like when we talk about, is it a good idea to post pictures of yourself in a bathing suit online? You wear it at the beach, you wear it at the pool. So if you're actually in it, you know, what difference does it make? Well, the difference is this is the most public place. So if you wouldn't do it at Target, maybe don't do it on Twitter. It's not a problem of, uh, of a bathing suit. It's not a problem of, I mean, the bathing suit was just, it fit in the context of the conversation I was having at the time. But my point is that I would wear, I talked to about this with, um, with kids at preschool. I had this conversation with, I had a three-year-old who would come to preschool. He'd drop the F-bomb. He said all sorts of very inappropriate words, words that would be inappropriate for grownups to say, and particularly inappropriate for a three-year-old to say. And so how do you explain to a three-year-old that, and he would say, well, my mom says it and my mom's fine with me saying it, but other people weren't fine with their three-year-olds being or coming home and also saying it. And I explained to him, it would be weird. It's, It's perfectly fine for me to wear a wedding dress on my wedding day. But if I walked into preschool wearing my wedding dress, you would think that's weird. That's not where you're supposed to wear this. You know, it's perfectly fine for me to wear a bathing suit at the pool or a beach. But if I walked into preschool wearing a bathing suit, you would say something's a little, she's not fitting the situation. In the same way, we have to consider the situation and the, and the public nature of, of our platform. And we have to dress appropriately. And so you think about the, the types of jokes you make. You know, there might be jokes that when you are with people who understand your heart, and understand who you are as a human like you you can speak freer and you can make these jokes i'm not talking about terrible jokes i make jokes like what did batman say to robin before he got in the batmobile before they got in the batmobile i don't know he said get in the batmobile robin which is an excellent joke (laughs) but so i don't really have to those are my kind of jokes so i don't have to worry about the kind of jokes i tell on 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 twitter but there was a time that I said, I made a tweet. It was well-received by about a, like 1,100 people. And it was poorly received by about four. Um, and those four people were very, very upset. I had to take time and like explain myself and explain my perspective and explain, but because it was the most public place I could make the statement I made, it really came back on me and I had to work through that. I still think the thing I originally said is, is true, but it does check me on, on how I say the things that I say and the things I don't know might upset people. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I was watching, you know, you get in a YouTube rabbit hole, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I ended up watching a video of Russell Brand on this news network from like eight years ago. And he is just being very awkward, but very like, you know, using humor to kind of point out these flaws in this kind of pinned up, you know, freshened up like news segment that like we're doing an interview. 
but he says, you know, they ask him like, you know, you're part of video, you're part of audio, you're part of comedy. Like, what do you like the most? He goes, I like comedy the most. He goes, I like being on the stage and being able to like, if I tell a joke and you don't get it, I get to explain it until you do in the moment. And then we all laugh. And he goes, and some people don't. And that's okay. Basically, we're just saying like, look, like I'm, I get to explain myself and, and it's, that's on me. If I tell a joke and you don't get it, that's on me to make sure you do, right? In the moment. He goes, but on video and on media and on YouTube, like, I don't get to fix that. And if you didn't get it or if I said something that wasn't clear, like, that's on me for not making it clear in the moment. But then I don't get to fix it. And uh, I think, yeah, just that, I don't, this is just a random thought. But anyway, just the idea that we get to, like, talk through ideas in a public space that we get like there is a, so I guess the, the thought that of why it made it is because your thought on like your responsibility to people of like, here's what I was saying. And now you could have just said, Hey, four of you who don't get it. Like there's the other people who overwhelmingly they got the joke, get it together. Or you can say, Hey, this is, this is what I meant. I wasn't trying to be, you know, hurtful or harmful. I wasn't trying to just poke fun at someone for the, for the likes. I just made a joke. Maybe it was for the likes, Sarah. I don't know. <laughs> but, but I you know, it, and, and at some level, there is, there is this thing that, like, I want my tweets to get likes. Right. I put it out there. I want people to engage it and like it. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, the integrity thing, they're like, hey, I, I have less followers than Sarah. And like, you know, does that make me, does that make her more important than me? Does it, right? Like all those things are very petty and very like childish and very, you know, just on a base level, not really all that important, but we can get caught up in that is, is really, I think the other, the other side of the ugly side of social media. It's because it's the ugly side of like being human. Right. Right. So how do we hold, how do we hold each other accountable? How do we hold the people in our social media communities? Because I don't think, um, is it my, I don't think it is helpful or healthy to make ourselves the, the police of all everybody's everything. I know that when, when I make a statement, if somebody comes back and they're like trying to teach me, I know I have to stop and be like, before I can go further in this conversation, I have to say, this is a, this is a human I'm interacting with. This is a person who has, um, who is coming to this conversation, trying to offer something. And I can't automatically assume that they're coming to correct me. They could be coming to engage and it can be. I have to work through um, because if I don't know them, I don't know their um, motivation. Yeah. Um, so I think that we do need to be very careful um, correcting anybody and everybody on the internet um, and be, be wise in, in the advice, particularly if we're going to offer that advice in public, it's a different situation if you're offering it in a, in a one-on-one conversation. Yeah. How do we hold, do we hold everybody accountable? Do we hold just our people we know accountable? 
And how do we do that well so that we don't have a, a another bubble just on social media where we elevate cer- just a new set of voices and we um, just make new people famous and hold them up when maybe in real life their their face is great but their body's not healthy in real life they're hiding because that's the thing that people talk about on with social media is it's very easy to hide who you are so how do we make this healthier yeah um i think it goes back to several things that we've talked about over the last 10 conversations or so um but you actually have to show up and like be a person on social media because the truth is, I mean, this is where trolling comes from, right? Like you can show up to just, just be on social media to be funny or to cause chaos or stir the pot. That's fine. There's a place for that. There's also like very, it's very harmful. But if you in the context of social media ministry want to make an impact, I think the best way to do that is to show up to be in relationship with people and in the in the conversation of like who do i correct or teach or tell like that wasn't helpful i think it's the people that you interact with most on a personal level because that's how we do things in person in real life Right. Like if someone were to knock on my door right now, let's just give a real world example. My truck is dirty. It needs a wash. And if some random stranger were to knock on my door right now and say, hey, is that your truck? Hey, you need to wash it because a responsible vehicle owner would wash their vehicle. It would not let them get because you're being an irresponsible vehicle owner. Right. I can see your trash in your back seat. You need to clean your truck, right? But if it's some rando, I'm going to be like, yo, get off, get off my property. Like, I don't know who you are. You just showed up yelling at me. And the truth is, if someone were to just yell that at me that I'm in a relationship, I'd be like, yo, dude, cool your jets. Like, you didn't even say hi, you know? And so just the way that we relate to one another um, online should reflect the way that we reflect relate to one another offline. Um, and 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 a person that you're in, in relationship with that you would invite into your car like yes. you would want to make room for them, make sure they're comfortable in your car, like you have the desire to to please them and you know and you have the and I don't mean like people pleasing in an unhealthy way, but in the way that you want to care for your friends and the way that you want to make yeah. them and yeah. so if you are going to correct someone, make sure you're in a place where like, that's a great example. If it, and it's one that feels very relatable. The, the messy car thing feels very relatable um, to me anyway. Um, if you, if, if before you walk your, your critique, make sure that it's presented in a way like that, that they would still let you get in their car at the end. Yeah you know, and that they would want to make you comfortable. They would feel comfortable with you in their car. Yeah. Um, well, and honestly, I mean, I, I've seen it so much. I just saw it the other day. You can start to critique someone's tweet or someone's thought and be so far off from what they were saying. Yeah. 
you know, and like be like start a conversation that like we're not there yet in the conversation. Like this person has not made a claim or uh, or put out an idea that actually is all that harmful. We don't need to elevate this to a, a reprimanding in public to shame someone into acting, being, doing the way that I am, right? Because to get back to our, our conversation, right, about Christian celebrity, Christian entertainment, Christian watching people fall from, you know, from the heights, right? That's what we're against anyway. Like, we hate it when pastors, when Christian leaders, when any leader, when anybody with a voice and platform set, shakes their fist and like, you are this thing, quit being this thing, you, you know, any number of words, you know, that make someone feel less than, you know, or shameful and inferior. And we can't turn around and do the same thing on social media on a lesser stage. We'll become the thing that we tell people that we hate, tell people that we're against. And yet all we've done is traded like that person has stage power authority and is be, is seen in the light i want that that's that's really all it is is just changing it to now i have the platform now i have the voice and now i have the power to tell you you're wrong we just we have to be careful that we don't we don't step into it because then we we become the thing that that we hate except it's not that public or as public i should say I was thinking about, so the, the way to keep ourselves accountable is to, is to hold a high level of, to feel a high level of responsibility and for our own platforms, but also to, to come together in community and to allow others to hold us accountable and then to act, to be willing to say to our friends or to be willing to engage around our friends in ways that are, are good and are, um, encouraging and lifting people up and because you can um I mean you can turn a boat it's such a little it's such a little rudder you know just one one little turn and your entire friend group your entire all the people that you engage with online can go from being funny to to backbiting um or from being um from giving good critique to being um, sharp tongued and hateful. And it's just, it's a, it's a turn. And so I think it's being willing to, to take the lead from others when they're doing better than you or to be quiet and let others who are um, in a better space engage where, where you're not able to engage in a healthy way or to be the one engaging in a healthy way in front of your friends. Yeah. It's just a commitment, a personal yeah. commitment and a, and a social commitment that we make with one another, even if it's unspoken. Yeah. Yeah. One of, one of the thoughts that I've had recently in watching conversations happen online where someone does fall or someone is, has said 
some Christian celebrity pastor or entertainer or whoever, author, blogger. Someone has said something which already there is a, you know, bad taste in people's mouth publicly. Like, there's not a small amount of people that disagree with said public figure. And they say something and they get all up in arms about it. This person is saying this thing. And it's like, man, you know, I, I understand that we want to like call out like bad behavior and like harmful behavior, but you don't need to like leave yourself in situations that are going to make that happen. Like you don't have, again, going back to like, you're not, you don't have to be the social media police and it's not your responsibility to like follow all these celebrity bloggers, pastors, voices to then critique and shame and call out and then go, I just can't, you know, believe that this is what the church is. It's like, no, what you're doing is putting yourself in a, a place where you're now the standard or, or you're trying to uphold a standard that isn't yours necessarily to hold people to. Um, the, the, I, I said it in a, an earlier episode, but the block and mute buttons are like gifts from the Lord. You know, like you don't have to listen to voices that are harmful. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to come across them, but like to, to leave yourself in a space where like that's what, what you do, again, is just another form of like trying to hold the stage, trying to hold the power, trying to be the person that like is seen as morally upright and upstanding and someone to follow, right? Like that path is very, uh, is very short. You know, you may not think we may not think, let me, let me make, like, make it clear. Like we may not think that that's what we're doing, but like that road is very short to get there. It's not, it's not hard to like get onto that path. So I don't know. That's just the thought I've had of like, especially for me when I go, man, this person, like the thoughts or the, the things that they're saying, like, I can see that, but like, I actually don't know this person. And the truth is nobody that I know or that I follow follows this person. Why am I going to bring it up and put it on the bulletin board and say, don't follow this person. This guy's an idiot, you know, don't follow them. And they go, I don't know who that was, but now I'm going to go read his tweets. And in like what I have done is now introduced harm when what I was trying to do or what I believed I was trying to do was keep people from being harmed or like critique a harm. So I don't know. That's just a thought that's been in the back of my head. I I also think that it's really easy to shift from if 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 we all have a pulpit in our pocket, you know, that puts us in the place of acting pastoral to people. However, it's really easy for people to mistake their platform for a soapbox and to think instead of being called to be pastoral to people, to minister to people, I'm called to be a prophet. I've seen so many people who claim this prophetic voice. You know, what I know from the Bible is that it, it, it says that this is a rare gift, you know. And one that must be just treated with such care. And if you look at how things went for prophets in the Bible, it wasn't great. 
And so the temptation can be there for these people who say, I have a prophetic voice. And so I'm going to get on social media and I'm going to blast all the ills of the world or all the ills of the church. And, and then they can say, well, it didn't go well for the prophets in the Bible. So if I get pushback, that means I'm extra property. That means I'm doing my job right because I'm making people mad. But at the end of the day, the, the metric which is used to say, is this a prophetic voice, is not how mad you made people. It's um, like, does this, is this what the word says? And is this um, what God, is this God's message or is this just mean, mean tweets? It's just me that it's likes, you know? Yeah. And when I think about the prophets, often they were very reluctant. Yeah. They were reluctant to go and say the things that God was like, I need you to go and deliver this word, you know? And it was a very like, one, I don't really want to go tell these people to repent. But two, it was this idea of like the Lord gave them the word, not I am looking out and seeing this thing that is wrong, and now I'm going to call it out in public and in shame. It was, it was very much a, the Lord has said this, but he's also often is still offering mercy and grace. Like the prophets crying out and the prophets giving a prophetic word was always, it is a measure of grace and mercy from the Lord. Like I'm going to reveal this not so that you like are shamed and punished and beaten and crushed and wiped out, but so that you have heard it from me. Like, I want to reveal this to you in love. And I think that's, that's such a, a human reaction to see the prophets and go, yeah, they were angry Ooh. and they were saying it. So that's, you know, again, like you're saying, I'm going to be that I'm going to be angry. And now I'm a prophet. It's like, no, to usually it's a word from the Lord. Let's, let's get that clear. It's not our own standard. It's a word from the Lord. And then it's done in a way that is loving and kind. Um, well, let me, let me interject this. The purpose of the message you see that God gave the prophets was if, like there were hard stuff in it, but the end result was to bring the people of God back into right relationship with him. It was not to shame them out and out of relationship with him. It wasn't to shame them so that then they would just feel like mess. It was to reinstate the right relationship. And yeah. so if you get to the end of your message and you have, and there is no reconciliation with God, there is no restoration, then it's important. It, it might be a time for you to say, maybe, maybe I need to evaluate is there more to this word? Or maybe I need to evaluate, um, was this a prophetic word or am I just an Enneagram eight? You know, yeah. like I just like to say stuff and challenge yeah. things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I honestly, I mean, you think about it and, you know, we've talked about a lot, but the Mark Driscoll's, the Rabbi Zacharias's, right, of Christian Christianity and Christian celebrity and the truth is, if, if someone would have, and, and someone may have, and the truth is someone may have, and that's, yeah. I, I believe that the Lord is kind enough to have tried 
to recon like reconcile them back into right relationship that he is good and kind enough to have done that but if publicly someone had said hey mark hey rabbi like i see i see the like those accusations and you need to hear publicly that the lord loves you and but the lord is a holy god yeah and like he he will hold you to it, but like he's also offering a way back to him. And that's through repentance. And that's through, you know, there is a way to this. But if I, I just, I feel, I, I actually um, have had several conversations with my pastor of like, when someone makes an identity claim on you, or when someone like shames you and puts you in a corner, your fight or flight instinct happens, right? So you'll either You'll go into like, well, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to like, that's an admission of guilt to the world, right? Or I'm going to fight and swing and just get out of this situation however I can instead of being met with the grace and mercy of Jesus and going, man, like maybe God is that good that like in the middle of me pursuing my own things, and in the middle of me chasing fame or fortune or power or people just liking me, God is there to like offer an unimaginable wealth, unimaginable wisdom, unimaginable love and belonging. And I don't know. I, I think when we really get down to it, like, yes, let's call out bad behavior and let's talk about how, that's not how Christ followers treat one another. But we should do that in a way that, again, like you said, offers reconciliation to God and re reconciliation to one another. Scripture calls us and tells us that we are ministers of reconciliation, that that is what God has, Jesus has offered us, right? Ministers of reconciliation. So I think if we forget that and even self-proclaiming that we're prophets and forgetting that we're also part of the priesthood, right? Like we have to make sure that we're operating out of that identity as well. So. Yeah. Well, it's been a great conversation. I knew I was going to enjoy this conversation. Yeah. This is, th these are fun. And, and I, I really do think, I mean, I'll be honest, we recorded two episodes in one day and the first one began with me going, is what we're doing worth it? Like not this particular podcast, but like the work that I'm doing for online ministry, for like creating discipleship tools and whether that's explicit or or not, but like creating discipleship tools online, is that worth it? Am I wasting my time? Am I putting forth effort that a year from now I'm going to look back and say, God, I wasted a year. And I thought I was working for you to now being encouraged and like, I'm ready to go take on the day. I'm ready to just go be reminded that like to live out of that identity. I was just talking about, like we are reconcilers and we are ministers. And that that's not because I have a, a title on staff at a church. That's because I am a child of, the one true God. And so, yeah. Anyway, I've, I've loved getting to sit with you, Sarah. That was, it's been an excellent conversation and you're excited to live out the day and you're on the West coast. So you have plenty of day left to live out. I do. I do.
Well, I look forward to our next conversation. Yes. More exploring. Yep. Figuring it out and processing.